We are back, baby. We are back. That's we right. are back. You are looking live. We get after it. You know, we jabber jaw. We go tit for tat. We have our little differences. Let's get funky like a monkey. And here we go. Hello and welcome to this episode of the Moose and Rooney's Podcast, episode 180 of the pod alongside Matt Rooney. I am Joe Musso. Matt, plenty to get to today as we continue to lament over a Bears season, but I will not cry over spilled milk nor uh, wrongful Bears because we got Masters Week coming up. We had a big Notre Dame win to recap as well. Uh, first and foremost, Matt Rooney, how you doing? I'm just, thank God Notre Dame did what they did because that made that Bears game kind of I mean no, no pun intended bearable for me. Like once, oh, there you go. As like as we're like obviously I started the Bears game with some hope that they might you know win or play well mm-hmm. or. Maybe Maybe score more than no, you no, know no, three no, points no, no. that weren't in garbage time, but no, that's that's me asking too much. But just kind of once it started to go bad, I was I was watching the game with with our friend of the podcast Rob Gallick, and we were just both kind of like, you know what, Notre Dame beat Clemson last night. I can I can get over this one. It was just it was, it was easier yeah. for me to get over. I'm still mad. Don't get me wrong, but it was just kind of easier to get over it because. I had that big win in my back pocket. No, it was really an all-time Saturday. I mean, you get a Michigan loss to Indiana, back-to-back losses now to Michigan State and Indiana. Not that we wish ill upon teams, but that's the rival right there. Michigan loses. Notre Dame wins. I had a couple early bets cash. Like, it was it was an all-time set. The election ended. Whatever side of it you're on, it ended. It's over. Um, it's over. So that's a, a win for everybody. Um, I, I think that it was uh, – you know, it was a it was an all time Saturday followed by see you, you carried hope into Sunday. Not not exactly the uh, tenor that I was bringing into Sunday. Well, that's because of what we've seen out of the Bears. That's what with it, what we've been like since this podcast have started. Though I feel like I've always kind of been a little bit of the optimist, where you've always kind of been the skeptic. And granted, you've probably been more right than I have the last few years. But I like I feel like every Bears game, I do go in with a little bit of hope. Okay, and so it's just becoming me- less and less. Okay, explain to me where what the root of your hope was this weekend, know. and then we can pick it apart. So, well, the root of my hope was the Titans' defense isn't all that good, and I know, I know the Bears' offense isn't very good, but the, the, the weakness of that not very good Titans' defense was kind of their pass rush, and I thought, hey, yeah. maybe with a banged-up offensive line, this could be a defensive line that maybe they don't beat, but they don't get their asses kicked by. And I was wrong, Joe. So you know, you know how we talk about strength on strength matchups. You were banking on a weakness on weakness yes, was, being the reason that the Bears correct. would win a football game. Correct. Okay. That's that's where I that's that's where I have in my Bears fandom. All right. Well, what did you see on Sunday, Matt? Because what I saw was a team incapable of blocking. I saw one of the worst offensive line performances like I've ever seen in my life. Yeah. And we, we talked about it a couple weeks ago. Like, there are obviously elite offensive linemen in the NFL. There's offensive linemen that are better than others. That's going to be true at every level. But you're a pro. You can't but swing like, and miss. Exactly. And and miss. I saw way too much of that. Like, I forgot I forgot which exact play it was. I want to say it was Jermaine Effetti. It was, Effetti. Effetti. It was on Effetti a third and short. Buried his head three it, different times. Exactly. It was, a, it was like a third and short, and he just buried his head, jumped. Like, there's a time and place for that. If it's fourth and inches from the one-yard line, I got no problem with you lunging forward at the guy that's you know right in front of you because that's all you need. It was like third and two, and he's lunging forward like it's a quarterback sneak you're trying to pick up inches and just gets completely beat. Like, it's the little things. And we were told in the offseason, Harry, he stands the problem. We're going to bring in Juan Castillo, and he's going to fix up this offensive line. I'm not necessarily blaming him because the talent is so bad on the offensive line, but like – that the little things haven't been fixed. If anything, I, I think maybe it's just because I'm more 
uh, I'm keeping a closer eye on it this year because it is so bad. But the technique mm-hmm. is as bad as I've ever seen it. Like Rashad Coward, appreciate you trying, buddy. He's a terrible offensive lineman. He has no technique. Jermaine Effetti, it, he doesn't know what he's doing. Like the, the, the technique, the steps, the lunging, the, the he- it's, it's so bad. Like it's stuff yeah. that we get yelled at in D3 or high school film. Okay, so, so here's the issue then, Matt. The issue lies in the fact that those guys are even on the roster. 100%. This is, this is a, this is a uh, when, when you get to this point in the season and they're, you're seeing the type of, you're having the type of struggles that the Chicago Bears are having right now, it's one, a matter of execution and preparation, and that falls in the coach's lap. It's two, a matter of just not having the bullets, and that falls in the general manager's lap. We have, we have failed as a franchise on multiple different fronts here. And I think it's fair enough to say that it's gotten to the point where that failure lands in the lap of management as well, because we're seeing a lack of depth at the offensive line, this grotesque. It's, it's, it is, it is simply inexcusable. The play of the offensive line and the fact that these are the offensive linemen that are in the game right now. We talked about it at some point that at some point, Someone looked at them and uh, some, someone in charge of analyzing talent looked at these players and said, yeah, that's my two deep because I, I, I just I, I don't see how anyone could have said that. I mean, we, we talked about it in the offseason. I, I think other than quarterback, which was obvious, they, they did address that. They brought in a guy other than that. Like, I think the, the, the one position group that everybody talked about, we talked about on this podcast is, you know, well, when's he going to add the offensive line? He went out and got his Leonard Floyd replacement. Robert Quinn hasn't been very, he hasn't been terrible, but he hasn't made, you know, the flashy plays that they're paying him to make. They went out and made, you know, additions in the secondary. The, the one position group they just, for some reason, completely refused to address, and I really don't understand why, was the offensive line that last year everybody pretty much was in agreement was a pretty big problem. Mm-hmm. And they, they just they extended Bobby Massey, which was I don't really understand because he's not very good. They're overpaying him a ton um, and nothing. They replaced their coach and added Jermaine Effetti, who has been you know a former first round pick who has been since cut, I think, twice. So I that was their big move. And they was banking on just a new coach coming in and changing the problem. It didn't work. It's a fireable offense. It is, and it's not only a fireable. I guess that's offense, not that offense in itself isn't a fireable offense, but the stuff leading up to it that like that should be the cherry on top of a fireable offense. For you're saying for a head coach or for, for a both. general manager for both. Well, okay, I, so I, I for don't... for a general manager, for me, I ask the question this first: When during Ryan Pace's tenure has the Chicago Bears offensive line been a even just top half of the of the league? I would say the, the I, year I they were twelve and four. I, I thought they had a pretty solid offensive line. It wasn't great. Yeah, I, I, I don't I thought they were middle them, of the road offense. I mean, they weren't dominant, I but they were. Don't remember them imposing their will. I don't remember them having a two hundred yard rusher. I don't remember the hallmarks of dominant offensive lines. I think our expectation of offensive line in Chicago is don't get your quarterback killed. And it's become that over the years because we expect our offensive line to be this bad. I think it's a fireable offense because of the track record that, that I was going to say Phil Emery, geez, having a little bit of a, basically the same thing now, having a little bit of a, a a little bit of a war torn uh, Mm -hmm. flashback there, but um, no, having, having that sort of track record on your name, if you're Ryan Pace, where, where, where do you go from here? Because you've, you've clearly over the last however many years, half decade, been unable to identify or make it a priority in terms of offensive line talent. Both of those are inexcusable, and they leave you where you are today. We cannot even properly 
we cannot even properly assess the offensive mm-hmm. talent because there is no time to run an offense. I, I'm not using the offensive line as a cop out for Nick Foles because Nick Foles has been historically bad. Mm-hmm. He really has behind whatever offensive line. Nick Foles has been historically bad. I've seen him step up in the pocket once, and it happened last week. I, I literally the the I forget who was on the on the call, but the announcer said, "Oh, we, Nick Stockton." Dick Stockton said something like made like a joke, like uh, Nick Foles able to. You know, step up in the pocket at least once this game, and and he was, and I, I mean, I, I struggle and I vacillate between the issue being um, more Nick Foles, the issue being more offensive line. I, I think that it's both. I, I think that you could kind of hand out even blame here, uh, but I'm I'm ready for Mitch Trubisky again, and I tweeted it out the other day that you know what's it going to hurt. Let's play this thing out until the end of this kid's contract. Mm-hmm. And if anything else, he has the escapability to get out of the pocket that Nick Foles does not. Because when Nick Foles is facing a pass rush and he's, his he's feet done. stop, when his feet stop at the top of his drop, they do not start again. Nick Foles is a statue. Nick Foles is. I think if you if you strip it all down, if you strip names down, if you strip resumes down, if you just look at the player on the field, Nick Foles is an aging quarterback that we committed millions of dollars to over the this year and next year with with zero prospect of success. Like, what other than six months in Philadelphia told you or tells you right now that Nick Foles is the answer at quarterback for the Chicago Bears? I mean, nothing. I mean, I think we've, at his best, if, he's, if you're going to have him at his best and you're going to, luck in, not, I don't want to say luck into what he did in Philadelphia because I think more went into it than that. He's a guy that needs everything around him to be right in order to succeed. And honestly, he also looks a step or two slower than he did in Philadelphia. I don't remember him being this bad of an athlete. Um, but like when you looked at his, his best success in Philly, like he had a coach who maybe has fallen off a little bit, but at, at the time, Doug Peterson yeah, was clicking about on all cylinders. <laughs> <laughs> at the time, he was clicking on all cylinders. They had a lot of talent around him. And they yeah. had a fantastic offensive line. They had two of the best tackles in football. They had one of the best centers in football. They had two pretty solid. So like that, he's not a guy that you can throw in. Uh, you saw it a little bit last year in Jacksonville. Granted, he only played a few games because he broke the collarbone. But like, when you don't put him on a good team, you don't put him with good protection. You don't put him with good weapons. He's going to be very bad. And Ryan Pace, I think, just saw like, oh well. You know, he did this in Philly, and Matt was in, in Philly, and knew Doug in Kansas City. So it's basically the same thing. It's fine. It'll be fine. We got this. And it, it's it's disturbing that that's, like, probably that's what the, the thought, thought process. process. Like, that, like, I joke about it, but I think that was kind of the extent of the thought process. It's like, well, you know, they, they know each other. They know each other. They have a good relationship. So it's going to be fine. All right. No, it's and not and now, fine. now, if that relationship was kind of your um – your pivot point thinking that this is going to be successful. We're going to have two guys on an offense in terms of a play caller and a quarterback who know each other. Well, when you're, when your common denominator is Matt Nagy, I don't care if you're bringing in Joe Montana, uh, Matt Nagy is, is if I so see in, one more so four yard out on third and 12, I swear to God, I'm just going to, I'm going to so inept as a play caller that I, I honestly don't think that there's a quarterback in this league that Matt Nagy could see success with. No, I, 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 I know that. Like, I know that seems like, I know that seems like an overreaction, but we, we've, we've railed on the management. We've railed on the starting quarterback. And between those two, 
is the head common denominator. And the guy, I, and the guy and the guy calling the plays. I want to make crazy claim that like I actually want to see Mitch away from Matt Nagy. Uh, not not necessarily. I don't know if it's necessarily going to be in a Bears uniform, right. but like I think Mitch is actually going to get better away from Matt Nagy. I, I don't think that Matt. I, I think that Mitch. I'm I think that Mitch was another. I think that I'm Mitch desperate. was another failed. Oh, I think that Mitch totally was, a Mitch was another. Ever Mitch was another failed. Uh, he was another failed talent evaluation by this front office. You're you're you're, you're looking for. You keep putting band aids on things. You keep saying, "Oh, I want to see Mitch away from it. Oh, I want to see Foles with a healthy offensive line." Uh, I, there's there's no band aids for bad decisions. They have compounded bad decisions, and we're getting to see them all play out in front of our eyes. Oh, I'm Mitch not saying those bad, aren't bad. Mitch decisions. was a bad Don't, draft. Never once said they never once Mitch said was that a bad draft in the last pick. few weeks. He was a bad draft. Uh, I'm saying I think he's going Ryan to be better Pace, away from Matt Nagy. He's Ryan Pace is a bad talent evaluator, and Matt Nagy is a bad play caller. I agree. If you do not have a general manager, if you do not have a head coach, and if you do not have a quarterback, you do not have a football team. I don't care how talented the position players are around those three minds. If those three minds aren't sufficient, if those three minds aren't productive, you do not have a football team. I know it's a team game. It, it boils down to the play of one player and the decision of one man, and those decisions are set up by one other man. It's three people that are responsible for this right now. It is Matt Nagy, it is Nick Foles, and it is Ryan Pace. Put however much blame you want on each one of them. They are both unexplicable failures. And they 100%. are failing and they are failing a fan base. And it's getting to the point of apathy once again. I've talked to people, I've talked to my family, I've talked to my friends. Nobody wants to spend their Sunday watching this shit anymore. It's sickening. It's sickening to I, – I jokingly tweeted out after the Notre Dame win that, oh, my God, that win was so good. I almost don't care if the Bears score 12 points next week. And that's exactly what they did. They scored 17 points, 14 of which came garbage in garbage time. time. It is – it's a waste of time. It's a waste of energy. It's a waste of emotional bandwidth. It, it was it's it's frustrating because we had expectations of this team because of how good the defense was. And it was another situation of just keep it on the rails offense. And every year we say just keep it on the rails. We end up fucking you can bleep that one. No, we, end okay. up 10, we end up 10 miles off the rails 10 minutes into the season because it, I, I just don't I don't know why we expect any different because. We, we stare down these problems before they start happening. We stare down the hiring of Nick Foles. We stare down Matt Nagy in year four, year five, whatever it is. And we know what these things and these people are, and we expect other outcomes. I, I think we're just as much at fault for putting ourselves in this situation to expect something. Yes, a five and one start, five and two start does dissolution you a bit, mm-hmm. does give you a little bit of hope. But we're now seeing who and what this team actually is. And it's an immense failure. And people must pay the consequence of that failure. It's the National Football League. It's not Pop Warner. It's not we'll get him next year. You have a fan base dying for playoff football. You have talent on your roster on the defensive side and at the position players. It's inexcusable. It's completely inexcusable. Yeah, and, so, and, and I guess what I'm saying right now, someone has to pay for it. That's I agree. Where our, that's where it's unfortunate when you're a bad team that your joy comes from firings. But I, I'm, I'm friends with a lot of Mets fans out here, and you would have thought they won the pennant oh when God, Steve yeah. Cohen when Steve Cohen fired the entire front office. That that's where the Mets are. The Chicago Bears are looking for that type of joy. Chicago Bears fans, fire somebody. Give us a reason to smile. And I, I think this offseason more than any is going to be. 
that much more important to have someone new in there because you're going to with with the salary cap staying flat or dropping you're going to need the bears aren't in salary cap hell but they're kind of up against it you're going to need a guy who's going to be able to make tough decisions on bears are projecting and you're going to need bears some are projecting guys. a 178 million dollar cap uh, next year and the cap okay. floor is projected at 175 so okay. if the if the cap is as low as it can go the lowest it can go is a buck 75 okay. or only three million over it they don't have to do rocket science they don't have to do brain surgery like the new orleans saints do yes. or a hundred million dollars over their cap but they're not in a buyer position they're not in a seller position no, the which chicago means you're bears, gonna need a guy the chicago bears and they're in purgatory just like they are in exactly. every other aspect of this franchise you're gonna need guy you're gonna need someone that's gonna have to it's gonna be able to find value and evaluate on both sides of the ball in the draft and ryan price has pretty much proven that at best when it comes to the draft he's like a 40 percent hit rate which just isn't good enough especially you know when you need to find talent you know it's never a good thing when we're talking about the old lady, but wh- wh- how much how much football do you think the McCaskey kids are watching? You know how? I, yeah, oh, it's it, the, Virginia McCaskey being one of the the great uh, original owners, the daughter of one of the the, the great owners, and one mm-hmm. of the great names to ever be linked with the game. Great, great. I don't care anymore. We, we've celebrated the Hallises. We've mm-hmm. celebrated the McCaskies. I you make one you make one decision every four years and it's been a bad one about four times straight here in terms of deciding who your general manager is going to be it, from where I'm sitting that's the type of management you get from the McCaskey family and I think that's the type of management that you succeed with we're gonna hire the people and let the people do their work they've just hired the wrong people yeah are they ready to fire the wrong people again I I, I don't know if we're there I, I just don't know um, how I don't know how I don't know if the feeling that we feel every Sunday is shared by the ownership. I, I don't know if that's it. Because, you know, when you, look at the, when you look at the Dallas Cowboys and you look at the anguish on Jerry Jones' face up in the box every week, you know that the pain that the Cowboys fans are feeling is shared and amplified by Jerry Jones. Is, that, is, is our feeling, are our feelings shared and amplified by the McCaskies or no? I would like to think that by George, not by George McCaskey, yes, it is. I couldn't really tell you about Virginia because she's 97 years old and probably doesn't pay that much attention to the team. I think my biggest worry is they might know that these guys need to go. I don't know both of their contract situations, but the Bears are obviously the, all teams are taking losses this out. year, and the Bears just dropped a hundred million on a new facility. I don't want to. I want to hear about it. I'm I don't not hear saying about they it. should go, go start I'm, a lemonade stand. It's professional football. I'm you agreeing. put the wrong people in place. Spend the money to fix I, it. I totally agree with you. I think they should do that. I would do that too if I was in their position. We've just seen in the past that sometimes they might not want to do that. So that's my biggest worry concern. And if they do decide that these guys deserve an extra extra year because they just dropped $100 million on a new facility, that $100 million on the new facility is going to go to waste because nobody's going to want to come here and play. It's not going to lure free agents here as long as those guys are here. And that's the problem is now once you get into this scenario of a defense feeling underserved and those guys becoming free agents and not want to extend or you're getting outside of the Khalil Mack window. I mean, there's some young talent on the defense and Jalen Johnson, of course. You got Kyle Fuller locked up. For I mean, luckily, those guys are most of those guys are locked up for a good amount of time. Yes, but the problem is now is those guys are locked up with no compliment. 
What oh, do you do? Yeah. What do you do to compliment them and not waste the millions of dollars you're paying them? You're seeing the ebb and flow of defensive energy every single week. Do you see this defense? You see this defense take the field and dominate for 30 minutes. Hold the Tennessee Titans for 27 minutes to three points. One of the most vaunted rushing attacks in the NFL. One of the Hell, guys Derek you Henry don't, one of the guys on you don't want to tackle. One of the guys you don't want to see in the hole. They hold them to three points through 27 minutes. Yeah, they give up a touch down you're down 10 nothing at half but after being given nothing from the offense you gotta go into the locker room feeling like that's a win mm-hmm. you come out of the locker room and your coach doesn't have two plays to rub together to his own name like it's it's completely and i use the word over and over it's completely inexcusable and someone must answer for it we're, we're falling we're falling into this trap of just this is what it is this is who the bears are we might steal a couple wins before the end of the season and that's that it's complete bull it's complete bull as a fan as a fan of the game not even a fan of the chicago bears just watching the way that this team is run is a complete mockery of the talent that they have defensively you said it very well i got i got nothing else it's, 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 it's just I'm at the point where if this keeps happening Matt we're not talking about bears on the podcast anymore there's there's nothing here for us to do except I mean, we, it's we, been the same there's nothing here for us to do the exactly. conversation the last three weeks exactly oh one last point I'm just looking at my notes here one last point I did want to make I think it was under assumed or, or under realized sure. that's not even a word um, we didn't realize how important Tariq Cohen was to this offense not to make an excuse for Matt Nagy but he was Matt Nagy's excuse he was Matt Nagy's scapegoat when something went wrong because he looked bad because he was put in a bad spot. And he was Matt Nagy's bailout when he did something great, ran a little dink and dunk screen that he took for 55 yards or um, motioned him and uh, had a little bit more flexibility in what we want to do in terms of a run game. I'm not saying that Tariq Cohen's the reason why the Bears aren't successful right now, but I don't think we give Tariq Cohen enough credit for how much of a crutch he was to Matt Nagy when he was a part of this offense. I, you think, wanna... with, I think without Tariq Cohen, Matt Nagy has to call a straight offense. Matt he Nagy actually has to be a play caller and he's completely unable to do that. And there, there's another, you want to talk about refusal to address the position group, fireable, fireable offense. That was another group that we kind of knew after David Montgomery, after Tariq Cohen, there wasn't much. And Tariq Cohen goes down, and now you're like, Ryan, I, Ryan Nall, I think two touchdowns, whatever. He's not I'm an just, NFL running back. They yeah, and I'm just the about, back position either. I'm just about out on David Montgomery too. I, I, again, I'm sorry you're running in front of. I'm sorry you're running behind a terrible offensive line. I'm sorry that nothing's going your way. You got to find yards. You got to find yards. Just like your head coach has to call better plays. Just like your offensive line has to play better. Just like your front office has to pick better people to run the team and call the plays. Just like they have to hire better people to play the quarterback position. Everyone is failing right now, and those failures beget more failures. I- I'm I- I'm not putting this in any one person's lap, but if you if you want to point fingers, everybody's guilty right now, except about ten. 12 players on the defensive side of the ball for the Chicago Bears. Yeah. It's been that bad. I think David Montgomery needs to be better, but I'm not quite at the point you are of saying he's a problem yet. But that, that's not a debate that we're going to be able to solve anytime soon. I, I, I just think that for me, if I had to point the finger, and I know just said it, it, it's everyone's fault, and it is. But right now, with what the Chicago Bears are doing, you have to fire your head coach. 100%. Because he's, because he's unable to pull the levers he needs to pull with the talent that he has to win football games. We're seeing far less talented teams throughout the NFL produce more on offense. 
he's he's unable to adapt to the talent that he has on his team offensively. And to me, that's the sign of a guy who's never going to be a head coach again in the NFL or never see success as a head coach in the NFL. Unable to succeed with whatever your talent level is. I get it. The New York Jets have nobody on their team. They also have no head coach in in, in Gase, uh, in Adam Gase. So, so I think that if we're drawing parallels to teams like that, then you find yourself at the bottom, the bottom half of the league because of bad coaching. I, yeah, I think that at least you look I at think, the Jets; they at least have a path. They're trying to be bad so they can get their quarterback in the future. Like the Bears were trying, like, the Bears are trying to be good this year. Yeah, the Bears I, thought I think, they could compete with this group. I think that's, um, and I think that they could. I really do. I think that this group could be competitive if you taught an offensive line how to block and you could score 20 points a game. You could be competitive with this defense. If this team was averaging 22, 23 points a game, I I think this team would be, you know, they're five and four now. There's a good chance they could be seven and two. Um, I I really, really would like to hear what this team thinks of Matt Nagy off the record. Like, like how much belief there is there in their head any. coach. There really there, can't, there be, can't any. be any. And there has to be a resentment building in these defensive position player rooms. In this defensive grouping room, there has to be a resentment of Matt Nagy growing. And when that resentment bears its head inside of a facility, things are going to start falling apart. And I think, I might be wrong here, I think that might be for the best. I think a little bit of internal turmoil and a little bit of finger pointing, because if this thing's going to go wrong, have it go wrong. It might as have well go crash, really have wrong and be very obvious. Have it, go, have it go wrong enough to where there's no excuse to keep this guy as your head coach. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm not wishing ill upon the Bears. I'm not wishing losses upon this team, because, again, we're going to be in purgatory. We're going to have a pick somewhere from pick number 10 to pick number 20, and it's going to be whatever it's going to be. But it needs to be bad enough to get this guy out of town. So you bring, you bring up the picks there, and I, we, we have a mailbag question about that. I think we've kind of talked about it before, but I, I want to bring up friend of the podcast, Rob Gallick, who thank you for the new podcast art. Rob looks fantastic. If you haven't, you haven't seen our new podcast art, our logo looks fantastic. Um, he wants to know what it's going to take, what it would take for the Bears to trade up for one of the top two quarterbacks. I don't think it's possible. Um, I, I don't really think they have don't. the draft capital. I don't, I don't think they have the draft honest. capital because I they're think still they, giving um, up, they're they, still giving up one to the Raiders this draft. Um, they are? I thought that's I over believe, with. I believe a second rounder. I thought they had a second rounder going to the... But they got a second... Whatever. They, I, I, the amount of draft capital it would take to give up and the amount of holes they still have to fill, I, I don't think it would matter who is playing quarterback if you don't have that first round pick this year first round pick next year second round pick probably this year and next you're giving up way too much for one of those guys you're pretty much sacrificing the rest of your offense for one of those guys I don't think it's going to be possible plus whoever the Jets are going to be picking number one they're not trading that pick so you're pretty much competing with a whole bunch of other teams for one guy or for one for for one pick I don't think they're going to have the draft capital to bid against other teams to try and get, you know, with Justin Fields or Trevor Lawrence, whoever. It's not happening. No. Save your breath. The Bears have five picks next year. Plus, they almost at this point, you have to, in the first round, you have to take an offensive lineman. They I have our own. They have, this year. they have our picks in rounds one, two, three, five, and six. Okay. Um, I'd say pick an offensive lineman with every single one of those picks if the quarterbacks weren't so damn bad. 
Um, if Mac Jones is there in the second round or in the third round, I'd like to see Mac Jones in a Chicago Bears uniform. If Zach White out of BYU is there in a mid to late round, I'd like to see Zach White in a Bears uniform. We need another quarter. I mean, obviously we need another quarterback in this quarterback room because Mitch Trubisky is not going to be there next year. They didn't pick up the option. They're not going to sign him to any sort of short-term deal, I don't yeah. think. They're not going to obviously franchise tag him and give him $38 million to sit on the bench, but who knows because it's the Bears front office. And Nick Foles isn't the answer. So you need to move on from Nick Foles. You need to have Nick Foles be your backup quarterback to some young quarterback that you go get, that you draft. Mm-hmm. You need to trade a pair of old shoes for Marcus Mariota and watch this team be bad for two more years. You need to do something. You need to you, you need to do something to where Nick Foles isn't your quarterback next year. I think it um, is that second round draft, whether that's Mac Jones, whether that's Zach White, whether that's whoever. I, I hope it's not Ryan Pace identifying the talent because we know we can't really do that at the quarterback position. But whoever you kind of, I, I think in the first and, round, you have to take the best I, offensive lineman on the board regardless of position. I hate to be, second I hate to be I hate to be a glass half empty guy. Doesn't okay. matter if Trevor Lawrence, Justin Fields, Mac Jones, or Matt Rooney are walking through that door. It matters the building that they're walking into. Trevor Lawrence will struggle with the New York Jets. Justin Fields will struggle with the New York Jets, or with the New York Giants, or with a bottom three team here that's not ready to succeed, that's not ready to put them in a position to succeed. We, we point to Joe Burrow and see the success he's had in Cincinnati, but they've started turning things around over the last two years. Mm-hmm. They've started putting some players around him. He's got a run game he can lean on. He has a fantastic tackle in Jonah Williams that they drafted two years ago and let him get healthy that's protecting him. They have pieces three in legit place weapons there. Receiver. They have pieces in place there on the offensive side that have made him look good. I know we think of Cincinnati as this bottom feeder team as they have been over the last few years, but you put a quarterback in a, in a position to succeed with some pieces around him. The Bears offense is the furthest thing from a position to succeed for any level of talent of quarterback. Especially if Matt Nagy's his head coach. Um, I'm done. I'm done with the Bears. I we talk about it. We talk about the Notre Dame game. That, that was fun. Yeah, I don't even NFL whip around. You know what happened? You watched Red Zone. Yeah, I'm good. Okay. We don't need to watch. Some, some I, stuff yeah. happened. I honestly turned um, off the NFL mostly after that news because I was so disheartened that I just didn't really want to watch Red Zone for the second half of the games. Let's uh, let's talk about the Irish here. Big win, first win since 1993 over an AP top ranked team as they take down Clemson on Saturday, uh, 47 40. 4740 4740 in double overtime. I want to go on record. I need to apologize. Okay. Um, I, I talked about it uh, and our if you didn't if you didn't listen to our interview with Phil Goff, go back and do that because I know we previewed the game but you learned a lot and I think you saw mm-hmm. a, a lot of the stuff he said was going to need to happen for a win to come true came true. Need to go on the record, need to apologize or maybe admit I was wrong, big enough man to do that. Uh that's <laughs> off to me. Ian Book is good enough to beat a top-tier team. He played his best game. That was the game we were hoping we would see from him. Mm-hmm. He, that was over the last two years. We had a lot of reason to believe he couldn't do it against the top-tier teams because he hadn't yet, and he not only hadn't belief. done it, but like he looked skittish and looked like he yep. didn't believe it. He looked like a guy who was ready to win that game, who thought he could win that game. He played with a sense of confidence I've never seen Ian Book play with. He made- now, I, I do think, I did for a moment think, oh my God, Ian Book lost the game when he fumbled down at the two-yard line. I did too, which by the way, you look at that replay, that was, he hold on to the football, that was a hell of a play by, I think that was uh, Venable's kid, the linebacker, made a hell yeah. of a play. But yes, that's kind of was my thinking there was like, 
this kid's playing an awesome game and oh my god he just fumbled into the end zone there that's gonna be it Th- mm-hmm. that's the thing though but it, I think was so uh, like people are gonna say Clemson was banged up which they were they're missing three defensive starters yes Trevor Lawrence was out but anybody who watched DJ Uyunglele there wasn't much drop off there no that no, kid I, is a bonafide superstar I asked the question to our analyst because I did our post game and I was sitting there watching it with my breath held and then had to like get my brain in order to do a post game mm-hmm. hit. And uh, I asked our guys kind of at the tail end of the segment, does Dabo Sweeney have to find ways to keep DJ Uyangalale a part of this offense, even when Trevor Lawrence returns because of how successful he has been? One of our guys said, now he's your backup. He knows what's going on. But uh, our other guy, uh, Barrett Salee said, you know, he he provides you some things that Trevor Lawrence doesn't or does some things that Trevor Lawrence does even better. Um, hard to say goodbye to a national champion Heisman favorite quarterback because he got sick for a couple weeks. It's not what's going to happen. But mm-hmm. if you say D, if you see DJ in and some some you know, sort of packages, some red zone packages, taste, some like oh, Taysom I Hill. I hate to I hate to go for the low hanging fruit here, but in some Taysom like Hill Taysom type. Hill type scenarios for this offense, he provides them another wrinkle, and he's so good, he's hard to have on the uh, on the I mean, uh, on the bench. He's just a tank, and then he also throws the ball like Trevor like. As good as Trevor Lawrence, I mean, he's Samoan Ben. He's Samoan Ben Roethlisberger who can run. It's it's terrifying. Some like young it's, Ben Roethlisberger before he got really fat, like when he first came yeah. in the league, was actually kind of mobile. Um, but you see, we say all that about Clemson, and obviously they did miss some some guys on the defensive end. Again, I don't think there was much uh, drop off on the offensive. They'll end. get another chance in the ACC championship game. But also, you look at Notre, Notre Dame, one team in the nation. You look at Notre Dame. Is what that's what the point I want to get to is. They didn't play. They played very well. Don't get me wrong. They didn't play their best game. They left some points out there. You see the yep. Ian Book fumble. You see uh, Michael Mayer's jumping off, uh, jump and fall start on fourth and inches from the goal line that backed him up, forced him to kick the field goal. You see Michael Mayer uh, drop what the, what should have been a touchdown pass. He kind of dra- he made up for it later in the game with some big plays, but he he cost them two touchdowns early on. They were 0, th- 0 for three in the red zone um, to start that game. So they played very well, but th- that was a game where. You kind of expected them to lose, and kind of, you expected at the end, like with how many things had gone wrong, how many chances they blew. That you know, mm-hmm. all right, you know, this is going to become really close, but you don't beat number one by leaving that many points on the board. They still went out and did that, and that yeah. to me is very encouraging going forward because you saw the defense corners left left a little bit to be desired. They shut down the nation's best running back, one of the best football running backs to ever play college football. Travis at the end held him to 28 yards on 18 carries. That run defense is legit. If the secondary just shores it up a little bit, that's a team that I'm not saying is going to beat anybody. They might not beat Clemson again. That's a team that can play with anybody in the country. And I think we saw that offensive line, Kyron Williams, that run game is as good as you're going to find anywhere. Yeah, breaking that second yard from scrimmage, breaking that 65-yarder or whatever it was for the touchdown is beautiful. There were a number of moments in this game where Brian Kelly coached teams and lesser Notre Dame teams would have mentally uh, been would have mentally succumbed to the moment. The, pa- the pass interference pickup in years past would have been the game. The pass when interference they pickup, that, which is by the way one of the most obscene bad egregious. calls I've ever egregious. seen in my life. The pass interference pickup could have broken them. The Ian Book fumble even earlier could have broken them. Having to drive the length of the field with less than could two have minutes them. could have broken them. Being scored on in the first play of overtime could have broken them. This team 
presented or showed, um, exhibited such great resolve. And I think a lot of times in NF, in the NFL, you could look at the box scores without names on it and tell, and you could see who won. Mm-hmm. Sometimes in college football, the box score doesn't always tell the tale. It, sometimes it's the team that overcomes the resolve and kind of survives the moment. And it's a little less linear than NFL football. There's a little bit more room for wiggle room and mistakes and things of that sort. I think that, what impressed me the most out of this Notre Dame win was the numerous forks in the road that they mm-hmm. reached and went the right way every single time. I mean, it every impressive. it's the most cliche thing you'll ever hear, but coach, it's coach speak, it's TV speak, it's analyst speak, whatever. It's the the ability to overcome adversity is usually what decides yeah. those games, and not that Clemson didn't. They did several times. It wasn't necessary. Clemson didn't lose this game. I think Notre Dame went out and won it. Um, but you, you talk about what was the mo- most impressive part of it to me of that win to me. Obviously, those the, the overcoming adversity was impressive. The ability to run the football was impressive. But quite quite honestly, if they were going to win that game, I knew they were going to be able to run the football because that's that's what they do. That's their bread and butter. Um, mm-hmm. The play that we we, ta- we talked about in the interview with Phil, the play of the wide receivers that we hadn't really seen yet this year, uh, Javon McKinley made two fantastic catches. He was a real threat on the outside. Avery Davis made some really nice catches and caught what was probably the best throw, most important throw of Ian Book's career on that last yep. drive on that seam down the middle. The If those guys are playing at that level and that type of they're that, those type of weapons against this uh, – I don't care, again, how banged up they were. Clemson has five-star talent as backups. If they can do that against five-star talent like you're seeing against Clemson, they, again, they can play with anybody in the country. And I think that was as important of a factor in them winning this game. It made their offense not one-dimensional. It made, their off- it made Clemson respect the secondary. It made them respect those receivers. And once they didn't, Ian Book and Notre Dame were able to burn them. And I think that was very important. I, I will say the one thing, if, if you want to get nitpicky, you talked about Brian Kelly teams sometimes fold, go back into old trends. We did see that with the play calling a little bit in the second half. They were up, you know, 23 to 10 and Clemson started coming back. You saw them revert to some old habits of they kind of abandoned the run late, in, that game. Down, late yeah. in the third quarter, fourth quarter. They started when Clemson started inching back, they started playing like they were down and they were throwing the ball, you know, five out of six times. Don't mm-hmm. do that. But that. That's the one nitpicky thing I have. And it still ended up working out. We're looking at you, Tommy Reese. We're looking at you. I love. I I still. I I trust in Tommy. I like Tommy. End of the day, Clark Lee is going to leave for a head coaching job. I really hope there's an under the table handshake agreement. There's a Brett Venables type agreement, Kirby Smart type agreement. Like, hey man, you you got the job. The next, it's up. It's it's your job next when it happens. Uh, that is the uh, that is the reality of coaching and the uh, the reality of having good coaches is losing good coaches, but. You must sit and you must relish in wins when they occur. And Notre Dame takes down number one in dramatic fashion on Saturday night. They are now the second-rate team in the nation, I believe, because yeah, Alabama, number Notre Dame, Ohio State. And I think them being number two and not three behind Ohio State is a big nod, a big nod from the committee um, as we get into some yeah. of these more meaningful rankings moving forward. I, mean, I think quite I, Notre Dame needs to run the table, which – don't overlook Boston College because historically in the past when Notre Dame's one big game has been undefeated, had to go play Boston College, things don't go but very well. They, they, um, they need to run the table They run the table in, in the ACC. Sense, no, well, I'm going to say they, they, then once they get to that championship game, they need to they play. Can, if, they lose a, if, they, if they lose a close game, they're still in the college 100%, football playoff. They, they need to not lose by three touchdowns to Clemson in an ACC championship game. They bought themselves a lot of real estate with that win on Saturday. I agree. They, they need to run the table in the regular season and just not flop in an ACC championship game and they're in a playoff. 
Uh, Matt, you want to get in some locks of the week here? <sighs> sure. Uh, you lost for a second consecutive week, dropping Steelers. you to five and four on a Steelers yep. play. I had the Ravens. And you got off the Schneid there. You got to win. Got off the Schneid. Uh, I moved to four and five. You moved to five and four. Uh, why don't you lead us off here with a lock of the week in week nine NFL? Week nine. Yeah, I was going back between NFL and college. I'm going to stick with the NFL this week. I think it's less risky. Uh, I like the Seahawks getting two on the road against the Rams. I, I think they kind of had a dud in Buffalo, and I think – what good teams usually do after those type of duds is respond the next week. And I, I again, they're, I know they're on the road, but it's not really on the road because there's no fans in L.A. Um, I like the Seahawks to bounce back. I was thinking about Cincinnati, the Bearcats football, laying 27 and a half at East Carolina, but that's a little bit of a risk. I'm going to go with what I think is the, the safer bet here, yeah, the think, Seahawks. I think the Seahawks are the risk there. I think that the Seahawks defense is anemic right now, and they're the benefit of I don't like, think Russ is losing two in a row. I know, but I also didn't think Russ would throw six picks in a two-week span. So like, things are changing. Things are happening. Um, don't necessarily love that pick. For me, I am going over – let me get the number here. I'm going over 50-and-a-half Tampa Bay, Carolina. It's going to be a bounce-back game here for Tampa Bay. I think mm-hmm. the offense scores a lot of points, but I also think that that defense has some holes in it. They're a little banged up. Christian uh, McCaffrey Carolina, back for Carolina. Christian McCaffrey's back, and he got in the end zone twice last week. That offense, even without Christian McCaffrey, was pretty productive. So I think 50-and-a-half uh, a tick low for Tampa Bay, Carolina. Give me the over. I like that. Uh, Matt? It's masterful. Uh, I know. I'm literally staring at my TV. I'm watching uh, live from Augusta on the Golf Channel. It's cool. Um, Tommy Fleetwood feels- is chipping in the practice area. His hair looks great. He's talking with somebody who looks to be uh, a little bit overweight and coaching him. Maybe it's a coach. Um, it's great. I couldn't be happier. One can only dream to be uh, overweight and coaching Tommy Fleetwood. But, Matt, uh, we do I'd have to break to be down overweight this. and coaching Tommy Fleetwood. We do have to break down this uh, tournament a little bit. A November Masters, some of the colors, some of the pictures that have come out, just beautiful with the, with the leaves changing on some of those trees in Augusta. It's going to be different. Just going to go gonna ahead and weird. apologize in advance for the amount of Masters photos, Augusta photos that I retweet this week. Oh, yeah, already, I did like, it like three times You're going to be like one of those chicks, like, take yep. me back. Yeah, no, yeah, I'm not even going to say that. I'm not, gonna, no, I'm not even take me back. It's just, I mean, you're going to retweet some too. It's more just, oh, my God, the Masters is here. Look how awesome that is. Mm, I've never been there back. in the fall. I've never been take there in the fall, back. so I'm not the, I'm not, oh, I do want to go back. I've never been there in the fall, <laughs> so I'm not saying take me back. No, it's going to be awesome. Uh, anytime that you have a Masters, I don't care what time of year it is, uh, we are lucky to have it. Um, Did you download the, uh, that, the Masters app yet again? Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. yeah. I think the oh, most yeah. interesting part of all of this, and every year the Masters is situated in a place in the PGA Tour schedule where everyone tries to peak for that moment because the, sh- because the run is coming. You're, you're running through the majors. You're running to the playoffs. You want your play to peak beginning with the Masters. We're sitting in the middle of the offseason. I mean, I understand there's no offseason with the wraparound season on the PGA Tour, but this is when the big names take their break. Mm-hmm. This is always right after whatever team event it is in September, October, um, whether it's the President's Cup or the Ryder Cup or not the Olympics um, it's it's a total no man's land and it's making it really hard for me to put my thumb on who's going to contend like what what's going to be the group of contenders is it going to be your normal cast of characters because they are simply the best in the world does this cosmically set up to benefit someone in particular whose game usually is great right about now 
is it going to be the bomber's paradise because there's no fans out there and Bryson can hit it on the hole next to him because he's got some master plan to break Augusta or is it going to just be the guy who puts the best and, and and to me I defer back to that it's going to be whoever has show me strokes gain putting mm-hmm. show me that statistic on Sunday and I'll show you the leaderboard I mean I, that's, I really think it's going to be that it's cliche but it's it's more true I think at Augusta than just about anywhere else whoever is putting the ball well who's rolling the ball well on those greens is usually right there at the top so I I tend to agree with you do you have a I want to I might put you on the spot a little bit here I don't know if you have Mm -hmm. a a gambling app page website open Um, I want to ask the I kind of got them in my brain we're going to make a pick I think we're each uh-huh. going to make a pick on who's going to win, and I also want like give me a value play. It doesn't necessarily have to be, have, have to be someone yeah. to win. It could be a top guy, top five. It could be a first round matchup, tournament matchup, whatever. I'm going to give you straight picks here. I'm going to give okay. you my pick. I'm going to give you my value play, and I'm going to give you a long shot. And okay. my pick to win the Masters, and I know it kind of goes against what I said in terms of putting because if if there's anything ever lacking in this individual's game, pardon me, it's putting. I think Justin Thomas sets up nicely. I think he likes to work the ball both ways. They always talk about having to hit a draw at Augusta, and that's kind of a fallacy. I mean, Jack played a cut around Augusta, and he's won six. Yeah, he was uh, fine. I understand, I understand different course, a little shorter, but Justin Thomas has every shot shape in the bag. He's long enough to get it done. He, I think that you know, we oftentimes talk about that tiger effect of who do you fear? Um, who do you not want to see at the top of the leaderboard? I think Justin Thomas has a lot of that panache to him these days. So I think Justin Thomas is a good favorite pick. I believe he's going off at 10 to one, if I'm not mistaken. Um, I like as Justin my Thomas, I have it 11 to one, 11 to one, mm-hmm. uh, my value pick, uh, 28 to one, I believe at last check, Tony Finau. Uh, Tony Finau historically plays great at the Masters. And don't forget, he was the man hugging Tiger Woods last year after Tiger's victory. He's been in a final group on Sunday. Now, did he step back? I wouldn't call it a collapse, but did he step back and allow Tiger the space to go win last year? Yes. Mm -hmm. Has he done that in numerous tournaments, not just majors? Yes, but he's always there. And if you're telling me at 28 to 1, Tony Finau is going to be there on Sunday in a final group, second to last group. I have a lot of belief in that. I have a, I, I put a lot of stock into that. I like him as a value play at 28 to one to sort of shake some of this uh, Puerto Rico open curse vibes. Do you know about the Puerto Rico open curse, right? No, but now I want to hear about it. Once you win the Puerto Rico open, you don't win again. Um, I think he won it two and a half years ago. Joe, I'm not going to lie. Like, I didn't know there was something called the Puerto Rico open. There's like five, the last like five or six winners of the Puerto Rico Open haven't won yet. So like someone needs to break the Puerto Rico Open curse. Um, and what better time to break it than Tony Finau here Might as well at be the Tony. Masters? Uh, so I got JT as my favorite. I got Tony as my uh, as my value prop. And I got uh, just because I'm a romantic. You know, I'm romantic about these things. I don't think he's going to even be there on the weekend. Of course, but he's I be like there on the weekend. I like a couple shekels on Jordan Spieth. You oh, thought I was going to say Tiger. You thought I was going to say Tiger. You want to get romantic. Yeah, we're but talking like, Tiger. But like the narrative of Jordan Spieth going back to the place where his where his career essentially hit the skids, where like if, if you want to point to like where did it start going wrong for Jordan Spieth, is number 12 at Augusta in 2017, I believe that was. If I'm not mistaken, uh, where he dumped, yeah, where he dumped two in the water, yeah. and 
uh, that was made, like where, eight on twelve, whatever it was. Where the uh, where the fabric of his game started to unravel a little bit for him to go back there, exercise those demons. Okay, and if there's someone who can get hot putting, like if his putter gets hot and he starts draining putts, I, I'd, I'd lose my mind holding a speed ticket. I don't even know what it's at at this point. Plus thirty six hundred, so thirty six to one. That's not a, that's not an awful. I, I, yeah, I would have liked that a little. I would have liked that a little. You want to talk longer, about value picks? Like forty forty four. Granted, he hasn't played all that great as of as of late. And still hasn't gotten over that hump. Ricky Fowler's at fifty-five to one. Mm-hmm. I know he hasn't played well, but the, the talent is there, and sometimes that just flashes at Augusta. I think that's another, a decent value pick. Another great putter of the golf ball. You brought up Tony Finau, and I, well, I think to win is a value pick. I haven't seen the odds yet. They're la- today, at least the last I saw. I think Tony Finau, a top five, was going off mm-hmm. at like six to one. Which I think, if you want to bet him to win on the 27-1, I couldn't blame you there. I think it's a fine value play. I actually think if you, if you take him top 10, top 5, I think there's a pretty darn good chance that you cash in that ticket. Because like you said, especially yeah. in these majors, he's always hanging around. He's always there. And then usually kind of falls off at the end. He's just too but if he does talented. That, like he's just, he just hits the ball a mile. His, his iron game and wedge game are always fantastic. And he has the – I think the most important thing about Tony Finau is he has the temperament to win any golf star. Like, there's not a moment that – if you're not shook standing next to Tiger on number six on Sunday at Augusta with the crowd roaring and him in red – like, nothing's going to get to Tony Finau. Nothing – there is no moment too big for Tony Finau, I don't believe. And then I, I also like – it's another guy that's – granted, younger, seems to be hanging around a lot. Xander Shoffley has gone off a 13-1. to 1. He's a guy okay. who was also right up there last year. I think he actually led on Sunday for, for a little while. He's a, a pretty good putter at the golf I'm looking right now. He's averaging 1.6 putts. Um, I like him. I, I, just, I just think he's one of these guys who's due to get – who's – Overdue to get his get his big win. He's a guy who's very steady, calm temperament. Who I don't think you're going to see get too high or too low, which I also think is very big adjustment. It doesn't seem like the moment's ever going to get too big for him, or the environment's going to get too big for him. I like him to hang around. I think at thirteen to one, not the best value, but that's also that's not too bad a value for a guy as talented who's around uh, as much as Xander is. You uh, you gave Finau as a nice top five, top mm-hmm. ten play. Give me a number on Matthew Wolf to win, but I do like him T five. T10. Um, Let's see. I, I just uh, think that Matthew Wolf to win is 31 to 1. Hey, I like that. I, I don't like mind that, that at all. Lot. Because I believe this will be his third major of his career. The PGA Championship was his first ever major. He's there on Sunday in striking distance of a victory. He gets to the U.S. Open. He's there on Sunday within striking distance of a victory. I think he top 10 in both of his two major starts, if I'm not mistaken. Here at Augusta, I, I know. It, it completely goes against the uh, the notion of first-time players out there, like first time ever being out at Augusta, first Masters. Mm-hmm. You're not going to win. You're lucky if you make the cut. Um, I just think Matthew Wolf is an absolute gamer. Is going to find a way I think to be Colin in, in the discussion. The same way for me. I, I think I yeah. have him right up there as, as a guy who's going to be in the discussion. He's twenty-seven to one. Um, our, our our boy Tiger is is twenty eight to one. I, I don't really recommend making that bet, but if you want to and you're romantic, go just, for it. Just, just do it. That's just fine. make the weekend. Just make the weekend, just, Tiger. Please. I I, I Tiger's going to find a way. He always does. It's a gust. I hope he Tiger. does. Uh, it would be fantastic if he did. Phil sixty three uh, to one. Got any romantic feelings about a Phil Nicholson? Uh, no, just uh, he, we're just waiting for the U.S. Senior Open for Phil at this point. We don't have um, odds for Fred Couples, but I would love to see the odds for Fred Couples to make the cut because I would take I, those. I think we'd be doing a disservice if we didn't talk a little bit more about Bryson and uh, 
yeah. just what he brings to this week, the intrigue he brings to this week, what you're expecting. He is your odds-on favorite at plus 750, yes. so 7.5 to 1. Uh, next up is DJ at 80, plus eight, uh, 875. Um, I, I, he's out there already. I know he's playing. I read an article earlier this week that he uh, he, he just de- He just decided. He just decided yesterday that he's going with the normal driver. He was going to possibly put a 48-inch driver two inches longer than his normal driver into play to try and search for a little bit more distance. Couldn't get it figured out, but has been tinkering for the last two months with a different driver. I don't know if that, you know, I don't know if that loosens the calibration of the machine, if you will. Um, But uh, I I don't know. I still doubt it. I I still, until I see it, and I I am sure we're going to see it this weekend, but until I see him dismantle Augusta, the place has so many defenses. I don't Mm -hmm. care how long you are. The place can defend itself. And if you put yourself in the wrong spot, if you're more worried about spin rates and launch angles and not where you're leaving your golf ball, you're going to catch you're going to catch a hanger lie. You could be 360 yards down the fairway, but that ball could be three feet above your head, and you're trying to figure out how do I advance this onto the green? Yeah, or where, I, do I, where do I lay this back on number 11 or I'm, number 12? We've talked know? about it with him several times. Obviously, he's going to be able to bomb the ball, but it's what he's going to be able to do around the greens, his approaches, his putting, and you, you hit it on the head there. If you're not, You can hit the ball 360, but if you're not in the right spot in Augusta, you're in a lot of trouble, and Bryson's Bryson's short game is he, it's much improved this year. Obviously, that's why he's you know winning tournaments, scoring as high as he is because he has improved that short game. But it's still not elite. He's, it's yeah. not where it kind of probably could get to, and that is Augusta's kind of main defense. If you're I not think, in the right spot, you're kind of screwed with your approach shots, your putts. So if he's not able to get himself into those right spots, he's not that he's not going to score well because if you hit the ball 360, you're still going to be around. You're still going to score mm-hmm. fine, but there's going to be guys that are going to be able to do it a little bit better than you, I think, because at this point, if you can hit a 360 in the wrong spot and somebody else is 325, 330 in the right spot, probably want to be in that spot. I, to go kind of metaphorical here, I, I have a bit of a, I have a bit of a rocket uncontrollably shot into orbit type feel out of Bryson. Like it is a cataclysmic rise to the top right now. He is doing things that are making the purists shake in their boots. That's making everybody worry. That he's making everybody look at the technology again. He is meteorically rising but when you rise that fast and when you're going that vertical when you get that vertical and you get that close to the sun icarus sometimes burns up like you might go full icarito here and we might have our combustion point like is he flying too close to the sun is he gonna completely go off the rails here and when you're swinging it that hard to swing it that hard and hit the ball straight is unbelievable and he's done it i can't can't believe you just said icarito that was fantastic we can't, we can't doubt him. Uh, shout out to the no laying up guys. That's a no laying up. Okay, thing, gotcha. Um, but we, we can't lose the, we can't lose that idea in our head that if it gets a little loose, 360 yards left and 360 yards, right. It's no good. If he can't shape this thing around Augusta, doesn't matter how far you can hit the ball. If you are, if you are sitting at the base of a pine tree, it's hard to score. I, I don't know why I feel this way, but I just feel like we might see Bryson get a little loose with the driver this week and have to play a lot of scramble golf and not be as dominant as he is when he's sitting in the middle of the fairway or even in, in the, in the, rock for the second cup. Um, yeah, because it's, it, it's never been the toughest place to drive your golf ball. It's a, it's a ball striker's place. You win it second shot and putting. But if you're putting yourself 
in in the pine straw, in the trees, in trouble. You're not going to win this golf tournament. I, I just have some. I just have an inkling feeling that the driver for Bryson this week isn't going to be as cut and paste, put it in the middle of the fairway as it has been as of late. I. I, I hope you're. I hope you're right because I don't want to see anybody <laughs> run right away with I'm this. Rooting against him. I, I'm kind <laughs> of rooting against him too. I don't really love the guy. That I mean, he's fun to watch, but I, 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 I hope you're right because I'm not. I, I'm, I'm not rooting against him. him. I just don't want. To I'm not rooting see, for him. Not I just don't like you said. I just. I just don't want this to be. Um, I don't want this to be devoid of all uh, of all drama. We're looking for drama heading into Sunday. You know, if, if Tiger's not going to be there, which I don't assume he's going to be this year, just give me drama coming down the stretch. That's all I'm looking for. I'm with you. I can't wait. For, uh, it's the Masters. We're two quick days full away. recap here on the Moose and Moons podcast. That's what we're opening up the show with next week. Yeah, because I'm, I'm done talking about the Bears. I'm just exactly. done. I'm 100% done. Do we have anything else here, Matt? Uh, I don't think so. Um, Nothing. I don't really want to get into Tony LaRussa. That's That doesn't sound like it's uh, speaking of being hey, done. Hey, he's not driving the team bus, is he? <laughs> certainly hope not. Jesus <laughs> Christ. Uh, go, go, White Sox. Uh, go, go over to the Moose and Runes Twitter as well, at Moose and Runes. Send us your mailbag questions. We're uh, we're dying for some mailbag. Thank you, Rob Gallick, for sending us a question here. Uh, and again, the podcast. podcast. Check it out. Looks fantastic. Rob, Rob took some time to, new, to do some new podcast art for us. Looks fantastic. Some, Joe looks great. I look fine. Um, new, uh, new podcast art uh, out there for the boys. Thanks to uh, Rob Gallick. So, yeah, check that out. Send us your questions. Um, Matt, why don't, you, why don't you say goodbye to the people? Bye, people. Go watch the Masters. May God give you for every storm a rainbow, for every tear a smile, for every care a promise, and a blessing in each trial. I swear I've seen a lot of stuff in my life, but that was awesome. <laughs> Chicken on the steak was phenomenal. <laughs>